You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Fabulous Invalid, a Broadway-centric podcast where we take an in-depth look at the theater through interviews with actors, writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. I'm Jamie Dumont, recovering Broadway marketer, personal chef, and event planner. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with Stage Left at NYC. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jamie. Uh, Well, while this may be a Broadway-centric podcast, uh, one of our missions with The Fabulous Invalid is to underscore that great theater happens everywhere, all across America. Last season, we went to Signature Theater in Arlington, Virginia, and also checked out the current theater in San Francisco. Today, we are coming to you from one of Jamie's hometowns and visiting the famous Pasadena Playhouse. We are. I love that you said one of my hometowns. Well, you're so mysterious, Jamie. You have so many, you know, origin stories. Well, that's not exactly true, but um, (laughs) for those that don't know, and most of you don't, I spent some of my childhood in the Chicago suburbs. And then we moved to California when I was a teenager. So West. I often say that I grew up in Pasadena just because it's easier. Um, but I did split my time between you had the some two. Formative years here. I had most and of my formative years. From what I years. understand, not too far from where we're sitting. No, in fact, my mother is probably in her living room watching Fox News oh, as dear. we speak. Oh, I know, God, God help us that's all. That's a different podcast. Uh, that's Jay. a different that's podcast, a diff- as we um, like to say. That's but a she different is. Podcast. You, you take the street that we are currently on, and yeah. you go about a mile or a mile and a half, and you will quite literally run into her home. It's the little old lady from Pasadena. I had always heard of Pasadena Playhouse, um, but I had never really done my homework and looked into the history and what this theater means to this community and to the country, to the movement of regional theater. This is really one of the first regional theaters in America and has an incredible story, which we're going to get into with uh, Danny Feldman, the producing artistic director. Uh, And later on, we're going to talk to George Salazar, who's the star of their current production of Little Shop of Horrors. But I have to share, when I I arrived on this campus, because it really is a a campus. It is a campus. um, I had this incredible moment of, I I guess it's deja vu, I don't know. But this might be a little esoteric, but the film version of Noises Off, um, when they go to Miami Beach for what is act two of the play, right, the the behind-the-scenes scramble, they filmed it right here at Pasadena Playhouse. 
They did. The exterior shots of that theater. And the second You're I right. arrived here, I looked and I went, oh my God, I've been here. Of course, I haven't been here before, but I wore out the VHS tape of Noises Off growing up. So I kind of feel like I have been here. It's kind of wild. I had completely forgotten about that. that and well, the film wasn't much of a success. No, but I do, and I, I, you know, I barely remember it, to be honest with you, because I was not a fan of the film, but I no. do know you love this film. Well, I grew up watching it. I, mean, I saw it before yeah, I saw the play, yeah. I mean, so we, it's with you know, my relationship to the material. We can't change our childhoods. We can't. No wonder you were smiling. I know, we you could tell, you could tell there was something afoot when I arrived. Yeah, but it's that, it's that like unmistakable Spanish colonial re revival style, right? That It's so iconic and it's so of a time. And oh my gosh, really gorgeous. Well, it's funny because when we were, obviously we had to fly an airplane to get here. And when yes. we were talking about coming here, I had said to Rob, oh, you know, well, we'll, we'll probably just meet in the, in the courtyard. And you said, courtyard? And so, yeah. well, it's California. Right. Everything yeah. has a courtyard. Everything's outside On here. On the lanai. On the, you know, the high school that I, well, one of the high schools that I went that's to. Origin stories. Had, yes, yeah, so that's a different podcast. Um, didn't have hallways, didn't have interior oh, hallways. The, Every, uh -huh. And that's very common. I saw in those a, in the movies. Yeah, it's yeah, very common. Of that, yeah. You know? you know what? It's the, it's a big misnomer because, you know, California does get chilly. And I'm so, wearing a sweater. It's yeah. chilly out today. It's we chilly today and it's, and it was what, September 20-something. 20 20-something. 20 I can't even tell you what today is. The 27th. 27. I mean, yeah. Of course you know the yeah. day. <laughs> uh, it's actually a, quite a historic day, but that's, again, well, a, different that's a different podcast. Uh, well, amazing. we should probably get to our interview and, and chat with Danny. Yes, let's do it. Right now, we are thrilled to be sitting down with Danny Feldman, producing artistic director of the Pasadena Playhouse. Before the Playhouse, Danny was executive director of Labyrinth Theater in New York City and was managing director at Reprise Theater Company. Danny, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi, welcome Hi. to Passing the Playhouse. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's, I'm happy you guys are here. We are in the beautiful <laughs> library right now, yes, correct? We are. We are in the uh, famous library of the Passing the Playhouse. It was the library for our school when we had here from the late 20s all the way into the 60s. Well, we want to dig into that yes. super fast, but before we do that, can you explain how you define your role as producing artistic director and how it's different from, say, just an artistic director? Yes. Um, I'll try not to curse when I do it. But oh, you can. You're, oh, I can. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're explicit. Yes. Explicit is yes. my okay. favorite word. <laughs> okay. It gets a little e, e next to exactly. it. Wonderful. Um, so a pro the producing artistic director role here at the Playhouse, um, there are a few theaters that have this around the country now. But most regional theaters have both an artistic director and a managing director. Mm -hmm. And they usually exist in what I like to call a perfect tension, <laughs> where there's a good tension between the two of them. Um, when the Playhouse, Sheldon Epps was at the Playhouse for 20 years. When he was retiring, um, the board was rethinking how they wanted the place to run. And they really felt like um, it was a good opportunity to rethink a business model. And they said, what if we had one person um, to do this, who's sort of a more of a creative producer role, that um, was artistically leading the organization, but also with a strong management side and financial side mm. of it. So it's a merged position. Um, it's basically doing the job of two people. Right. Two for the price of one. How about uh, that? Yeah, <laughs> let's say it was a budget savings item. I see what's item. happening here, right? Yeah. Um, the salaries were not merged, let's just say. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, we can't complain about that. But, um, uh, but no, the it was... Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. But no, it was a unique thing. And I think I, I think that in particular, the passing of Playhouse, who's had a lot of ups and downs over the 100-year history, right. um, this was a unique moment that it needed to think of something in an innovative, fresh way. 
Um, I saw it as a wonderful opportunity myself, um, really being on just the managing director side of organizations in the past. But I was very fortunate both at Reprise here in LA and at uh, Labyrinth in New York that I had tremendous, tremendously collaborative artistic directors that I was working with. And so when I was at Reprise, I was always involved. I was crossing that line where I was picking <laughs> shows and I was, you know, I was doing all of that. And same thing at Labyrinth while I was there. Um, I was in every tech rehearsal and everything giving notes. And so I, I was spoiled to have those kind of relationships. Uh, so when I got here, the, the opportunity to uh, do both was pretty exciting and daunting and petrifying <laughs> and terrible and <laughs> all sorts of things. Um, but uh, I am now two cycles around the sun with right. programming. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're doing things here. Incredible. Well, that yes. first season that you produced here, yeah. uh, the, the range of it is pretty impressive. So Our Town in yes. co-production with Deaf West, yes. uh, the much talked about and interactive Pirates of Penzance, yes. uh, King Charles III, oh, was great. Uh, which I love that play. It was great. Uh, with all those eyes on you that first yes. season, uh, I imagine there was a lot of pressure to yeah. show up, put together the season, get it up on its feet. What was that first year like for yeah, you? Yeah, it, um, it was wacky. So, <laughs> so the thing that they don't tell you when you take over a role like this is that you come into someone else's season. And so when I actually started, um, it was in the middle of Sheldon Up's final season that he had programmed. And so the public doesn't always know like what's yours and what's not yours. And right. you're dealing with, you know, we were doing a world premiere musical called Shout Sister Shout. And it was still in development and all of a sudden you're thrust yeah. with being in the middle of development of other things and you're like, what's going on? Um, and it was it was a pretty um, chaotic time at the Playhouse, I will say, for a variety of reasons. I'm transparent, so I talk about all of that kind of stuff. You can get that out of me. Um, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a, a crazy transition in many ways. So I was actually, um, I was required for a variety of reasons to redo some of the current season that was happening that had already been announced. So I had to pick a couple plays while I was planning my first season. I thought I was going to come in, right. have a chill six to nine months, plan my first season in leisure, and then announce it and everything was going to be fine. It was nothing like that. Um, but I did rely on artistic relationships I had in the past. Um, I was really trying. That was our 100th anniversary season. Which is crazy that that was also the beginning of it. Wow. And, um, <laughs> no, and pressure. I, no pressure. No pressure. And also, you know, when, when someone new comes over to an institution, particularly after they someone's been there for a long period of time, everyone's looking at you and sort of saying, what is the artistic aesthetic of the organization? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do now? And um, the best way that, that another artistic director described it to me is, over your time there, you're sort of putting uh, a puzzle together. But your first year, it's only five pieces. And like... You can't have like too much sky, you can't have too much ground or no one knows what the hell you're doing. And so there was really this thing of how are we, go, you know, with, with the financial pressures that we had of both in the past that I inherited, but also just the reality of the season. And so um, I knew that I wanted to start with something that was like a palate cleanser that was like very big and epic and broad and classic like the passing of Playhouse was, but with a fresh perspective. Mm. And um one of the reviews I remember, I don't often quote reviews, but one of them said, "Stunning, our town is stunningly reborn for a new era. And that was exactly what we were trying to do with the theater. Wow. So um, that worked. That was great. <laughs> um, King Charles was just the play that was so freaking good, right? Yeah. That play was so good. And I wanted to do a production that was all Los Angeles cast to show 
we have great actors in LA and we can do our own great productions. And it was actually on the LA Times top 10 New York, LA, London for the year. It was really well, well received. People loved it. Pirates of Penzance was just about how do you, Pirates of Penzance was written, what, 1870 something, right? I should know that, but I don't. Um, But it was about getting an audience to see something that old in a new way and getting them to see the building in a new way. So we ripped out all of the seats in the theater and it was a total immersive experience with a margarita bar on stage <laughs> and we had some of our patrons who've been coming here for like 50 years were like what the fuck is going on in this building like it was so insane for them to just walk in a beautiful historic old hundred year old theater and see it in a new way and it was like that's what we're going for where's my seat with my name on it right. 100%. <laughs> yeah i've been in a3 for 50 <laughs> years and we're like sorry um now the box office didn't like me for moving all those people and hearing from people but it was really the metaphor of what we were trying to do and then of course we did um we did belleville that year i can't oh. forget with oh, anna wow. camp and tommy sadowski oh. and that was to really you know that was a new york theater workshop play a yale rep play mm-hmm. uh and it was something tommy's a friend of mine forever and it was i knew the second i sent him that play he was going to say yes to it and anna of course i knew from her new york theater people in la are like oh she's that girl from pitch perfect and no one knew like her chops and so we did that play here, which was which really sort of grabbed the audience by the balls. I'm just yeah. like, what is this happening? It was the biggest theater I think that play had ever played. Um, and then we did a commission that I commissioned, a culture class doing a play called Border Town Now, which was really, um, it, it opened, opening night was right as the Trump trial separation scandal broke. Wow. And so the audience, I mean, the set was like the three border wall uh, samples and it was just very of the moment. And that really showed just the contemporary nature of, of the dialogue we're trying to have with our community and with, with the audience. Right. So that was the first, that was sort of how I schemed it in yeah. my head. Yeah. Um, I'm pleased with how it turned out, but it's always a hard thing when you're puzzle piecing together and trying to appease multiple um, constituencies. Right. Which I think is one of the great problems of the regional theater in America. Mm, mm. But also a a great opportunity, right? With every problem comes a huge opportunity. Huge opportunity. Uh, Because each of those puzzle pieces, the tension between them is is getting butts in the seats and, you know, because you have a budget and you have to sell tickets and you have to (laughs) please your audience, but also challenging your audience, right? And pushing the art form forward. Pushing the art form forward is key and how, and that's really our role here, not only as as a regional theater, professional regional theater, but we are, many people don't know this, we're the state theater of California and how I interpret that, everyone sort of interprets that what they want. Um, I look at California as one of, one of, if not the most inclusive places on the planet, most innovative, most forward thinking, you know, our economy is like the 10th largest in the world or something like that. Um, And so I look at what are those values of the state of California when people think of that and how do those values get into everything we do here and how we think about it? Mm -hmm. And how do we make sure our audience is really reflective of a community that we're serving? And that's challenging and exciting and not always sometimes goes directly against your business objectives. Um, And that's the battle that goes on in my head every day. I would imagine, you know, Pasadena is a little bit more conservative than the rest of Los Angeles. I would imagine there's been some push and pull when you're trying to do innovative new things in a historic theater that's been here for a hundred years and has patrons that have been here not quite that long, (laughs) but but maybe. But, you know, it's certainly, I think, a difficult dance that you seem to be navigating very well, but it must have its challenges. Oh, yes. So so 
Um, you know, when I grew up here in Los Angeles, Pasadena was just known. You grew up in Los Angeles. You grew up in San Marino, right? Can yes. I say that? yes. You can say that. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but but it was very white, conservative, um, and that was sort of the that's what Pasadena was. Um, my and in fact, when I was asked to come here to explore this possibility, that was very much in my head. Um, because even though I grew up here and came to shows here, I hadn't really interacted so much with this. I didn't really wanted to. I, I kind of isolated myself. Um, and when I started immersing myself in the town, it is a radically changing place right now, which is very exciting to me because it, it definitely represents what's going on in the country in terms of demographic shifts happening. Um, there's still, I believe, San Marino, sorry to, to inform you, was the only little red dot on the last election map, not to get political. None of that's shocking. But um, we're political, so don't worry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, I'm supposed we're to be there. apolitical. But no, but, but that means that's a, it's a big segment of our population, not Pasadena, by the way, but San Marino in particular. Yet um, Pasadena is heavily Latino and heavily Asian, particularly Chinese American and Chinese in this area. Um, and when we started looking at the audience demographics, we realized they were very much out of sync with what the neighborhood looked like around us. Mm. Um, in this specific area here in Pasadena, if you looked when you guys were walking in, there's a major boom and growth in um, housing. This was not an area where people lived before, and now this is a place where people live, and there's some New York prices on some of these luxury yeah. apartments. Jenny was pointing that out when we drove down. Um, the yeah, the it's menu. very different. It, now. it changes every time I come home. Yep. I see a new development yep. of of housing, which yep. is uh, it's great, and it's got to be good for you. It's good for us, and it's a changing neighborhood. It's a younger neighborhood. There's restaurants now that can sustain around here, which was mm. a problem here always. Um, directly across the street, if you look out the window, that luxury, that nice building across <laughs> the street, the top floor is actually Alibaba Pictures. Oh wow! That is their headquarters right there. Um, which says a lot about the changing neighborhood here as well, that they're a big you know, entertainment company and that is where they decided to be because this is such a heavily Chinese community. Mm. That's fast. So is it's it a, Alibaba like Alibaba, the uh, like the huge the conglomerate? Chinese yeah. The Chinese yeah. company, it's their, their it's pictures. Right. Like Amazon is Amazon Pictures, yeah. it's right. their movie company. Yeah. And they're like, um, they're a, a major stock, major investor or holder in DreamWorks and look them up, everyone can Google yeah, them. Yeah. But they're right <laughs> over there, um, they're our neighbors. Insane. But that, that kind of shows the changing community. And mm -hmm. I have found through my personal experience that my perception of what Pasadena in this area was is very different than when you walk down the street and what mm -hmm. I was experiencing. Right. I think there's still um, an old guard here, but I have found them to be tremendously welcoming um, to what we're doing here and to some of the the kind of work we're trying to explore and push boundaries on. Mm. Um, their Pasadena is, I, I have to say something very nice about Pasadena. It's a community of about 140,000 people. Um, we have three professional theaters. <clears throat> we have two orchestras. Wow. We have, I mean, it's, it's, it's the number one per capita in America uh, nonprofit, uh, the amount of nonprofits here and mm. charities. Um, it has a very high ratio of private school attendance, which is a whole other thing, a lot of private schools, but it's a tremendously philanthropic community. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, it's the kind of philanthropy that you see on the East Coast. You know, in the East Coast, we have the big, you, you know, your, your highest thing is to be on the board of the Met or to be that. In LA, that's like not the thing, right? People aren't like, oh, I want to be on the LA Opera Board or this or that. It's not a thing here. Yeah. And this community, that is very thing. important. Yeah. And I think it goes back to way in the beginning of how Pasadena was founded and formed, which the playoffs was founded like an that. East Coast city by East Coast 
Correct. By Midwesterners, Families actually. And Midwesterners. Yes, yes. And, yeah. and it was seen as where oh, they, there's the a Wrigley's. line. I keep forgetting. Yes. I, we just went by the Wrigley Mansion yes. and I pointed it out and then I forgot all about it. No, that. there's a there's there's all this stuff in our history where it's like great communities and great cultural institutions. And these very wealthy Midwesterners were like, I mean, if you've seen our city hall here, it's this gorgeous building and, the, and they built it. They were like, we want this this, you know, a great community here in Pasadena. And that's why, that's the birth of really this building that you're in right now came from all of that. So do you have trouble tapping into that, that generosity and that, and, and, and that attitude or, or because arts are not always, you know, arts no. are a tricky thing to fund. And this, so, so, um, like every great drama, the Pasadena Playhouse has had our, uh, moments yeah. of tension and, uh, resolution and conflict. Um, and the theater, historically went bankrupt most recently in 2009. Um, and a lot of people, um, you know, you, you look at such a philanthropic community and you say, how did that happen? And the truth is I wasn't here, so I don't know exactly how that happened. Um, but I, I think that, that where I align beautifully with the theater, how I interpret the mission and vision and principles of this institution and my own personal belief system and work um, that we are truly in service of the community here. Um, it used to, the Playhouse used to be called the Pasadena Community Playhouse. At some point when um, Actors' Equity was born, which we were around for a long time before that, and community theater started having a stigma of being amateur theater, um, that word was taken out of it. Um, but this always was a community-centric organization. And what I was really struck by was there were a lot of, lot of segments of our community, some of the philanthropic segments, that did not feel in love with this place as they did with some of the other cultural institutions in the city. Um, and so we started an effort to make people fall in love with us again and to really make the case of this as a really important civic institution, not just in Pasadena, not just in Los Angeles, but in the country. Um, and that's sort of the effort we embarked on and that the messaging that we're, we're really reminding people of the important role of this building in American history. And, you know, Our Town, the perfect example, Our Town, when it was still on Broadway in its original production, played here. We think it's one of the first, if not the first, regional productions. And at the time, Our Town was like a revolutionary play, right? right. No set, no anything. And this community was supporting that. Mm -hmm. So it's when I talk to some of our, our um, patrons who who don't like the newer pieces we do, like a Belva or like, you know, um, I remind them that this was always a home for contemporary work. It's always. in the DNA. Yeah, it was yeah. always here. And there was a community that supported that and wanted that. Um, and, and that was our role, not only in this community, but in the greater LA community. And this, you know, LA's demographics and everything are changing. This used to be seen, if you know, the center of LA culture was always West Side, as you know, um, and that has shifted dramatically now. And we're more in favor in that. It's shifted eastward. Big time. And so to be a theater that used to feel quite isolated, we're, you know, 15 minutes from downtown LA. So we're we're still <laughs> very much in the center of things here. It's funny to think of there was a day when our town was new and revolutionary and had its its fans and its detractors. It right. did. Just like any play written today it's that has this. Yeah. And that's I found the the variety review of the Playhouse production of Our Town. I mean, it was it was unreal. And the fact that audiences back then, I mean, it was, it was, think about it. Our town was right, you know, coming in right before World War II. Is that right? Yes. And um, I'm doing a fact check on myself. But, um, and you had patrons coming through the same courtyard 
we have not changed the courtyard. We have not changed those stones. We've changed the seats in the theater. (laughs) But coming and sitting in the same room, hearing the same words, and we were doing it, you know, in fall of 2017 with other storms brewing in the world and um, sitting in the same, you know, the same building, hearing those same words in a very different way. And in fact, we used as the set we found photos from the very first time they did it here and they just used the back wall, like, you know, a traditional art town. And we did the exact same thing, uh, only the wall now has cracks in it from earthquakes. And, right. and it was just really powerful and moving to, to think about words traveling over time, like time travel with this piece. It was really, really special. Wow. And the bare back wall is not a modern conceit. It's been, they've been doing it for a while. <laughs> I say that and you're about to see Little Shop tonight and it starts with a bare back wall. I'm sorry to reveal. <laughs> no. It goes away fast, but it's there at the top of the show. Quick side note, because you keep referencing these yeah. records and I, I did read in our research that the it is believed that the Pastina Playhouse has some of the largest collection of regional theater records yes. in the history yes. of regional theater we in this think country. We do, yes. Are those records here or are they still at the Huntington? Some are at the Huntington and some are here. So the it's the main um, computer database system is housed here, but the um, the Huntington now is holding for us about half of our records. Right. But we basically have a database now that was fully volunteer generated. <laughs> All of our volunteers, the friends of the Playhouse. Um, we can look up every show that's ever been here since day one, since 1917. We have every program. We have every um, ad. Wow. We have every review. We have every actor catalog. We have every actor who went to school here, which was thousands of them. Um, what shows they were in. We have people call and say, my grandparents went to school. They pull it up. They have a report. It shows all the photos. There are props hidden. Uh, this goes. This is straight through 1917 till today. I mean, they are in the archives in our office upstairs and they're in every Tuesday and Thursday and they're scanning in the little shop stuff. They're scanning this and they get donations. A lot of times when, when people, you know, we've been around a long time, when people pass away, their families send us the programs and it's like, oh, we already have that one. We, oh, we don't have that one. Scan that in. So it's really an extraordinary um, collection. It's, we think it's one of the only ones in the country that has that kind of history in it. Um, and we're looking in the future. I'm, I'm, trying to figure out a way how to make that public, how to put that in the, in, in the public interest because it belongs not just to us, it should belong to everyone. You should be able to look up and see You'd probably, you guys would be like me. I'd be yes. stuck on it all night. <laughs> I was going to very, you're reading his mind. I right? very Where selfishly was going to say right. that Rob and I are going to be rude and invite ourselves back someday you can. to geek out in your archives. You can. Because yeah. that yeah. to me is like I a will, kid so in a for every store. show, I will like, I'll call our archive um, guy, Ross Clark is the head of it. And I'll, like when we did Pirates of Penzance, I was thinking about doing it. And I was like, how many times have we done that? Have we done that a lot? And in like 10 minutes, I get a full report with photos with this. We put them in the program sometimes. Wow. It's it's pretty extraordinary. And it's um, also a hugely important part of theater history. It is. Which I think is, as, as you yeah. clearly want to do, something yeah. that needs to be tapped into and accessible because it can only benefit other theaters. I 100%. Would. 100%. It was, we were really at the center of, of that. I mean, Pasadena was a town that was really blossoming even before Los Angeles. We're, you know, like I said, we're pretty close for those who don't know. But this was a place that was an intersection of so many different theater luminaries. Um, I was talking to you guys before, but, you know, Tennessee Williams was working in the room we're sitting in right now. He world premiered two plays here um, on the, you know, here on the main stage. Um, He was in L.A., I believe, when he was writing Glass Menagerie. And, you know, our historian was like, he was writing that here on this camp. Like, I don't know about that. But, like, he was in L.A. working on it. Um, 
But we did some of his more junior plays, but he was here working with the students of the Pasadena Playhouse. And there's a great book that talks about our lobby, um, not our theater lobby, but our administrative office lobby that said um, he would be seen in the morning greeting the young students as he was coming in, as they were coming into the lobby. We're like, okay, we understand yeah, that. right. Between yeah. <laughs> hmm. um, the lines. But this was actually, I mean, the, the, not to go on a tangent on this, but one day uh, I think someone should be writing a piece on this. Gilmore Brown was the man who founded the Pasadena Playhouse in 1917. Um, and he ran it all the way through his death in the 60s. It was really his thing. And it was in its heyday all during his time. But he was a gay guy work, running this theater in, the, in 1917. Um, we have photos of, um, you know, same-sex couples holding hands sitting on the staircases there in the 20s and 30s. Wow. Um, we know there was a, a speakeasy on the corner where, where Blaze Pizza is now at yep. one point. You know the history I of this. I do know this. And, it, and it's really... Um, it was really seen as a as a safe haven, I think. For and I, I think that's part of this. My theory, my like queer history theory, yeah. is that was really part of the history of why this became such a place and a destination for artists of you know the world class artists, Agnes DeMille and all these people to be here. Um, so anyway, that's that's a whole a whole other episode. Wow. But um, I I think that is an untold story right now that one day we will find a way to tell. I do think that's part of the history here. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, it's important. And so what if I love each feather and each spangle? Why not try to see things from a different angle? Your life is a sham till you can shout out loud. I Well, as you look to the future, yeah. um, you know, what, what are your hopes and dreams for this incredible yes. institution? And a hundred years from now, a hundred years from what now, what do you oh hope people are thinking um, about the big thing? Well, you know, the, there's there's two big things. One is that this building we're in, this beautiful building, um, we need to make sure. I'm on a quest now to make sure that this building is still here in a hundred years. Mm. It's a very old building. Um, it has been earthquake retrofitted a few times through the years, but I am looking to really make sure we can restore it and polish it. Um, it, a lot of the stuff is cos is not cosmetic. It looks beautiful still, but um, I want to make sure that the building is still here 100 years. When you have a, the building itself turns 100 years in 2025, mm -hmm. the cornerstone, which is directly under that painting down there, <laughs> um, was laid in 1924, I believe. But in, in, it opened in 25, and we're really looking at by 2025. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What what does that mean for the history of the building? The playhouse actually started at a burlesque house down the street, by the way. <laughs> Great beginning. Yeah. Great, great beginning. Great beginning. It was really well. That's another episode. That's yeah, a whole okay. other episode. Yeah. Um, in terms of artistically, um, besides the fact that I won't be around in 100 years, <laughs> I look at, I hope not, um, I, I am really just standing on shoulders of other people here, and, and my time here is to further the impact of this theater. I think that the legacy of what this place was all about in the beginning, of a community-centric theater, a place for artists, a place that is in dialogue with its community and its times, and doing shows that are bold and adventurous and, and um, taking some risks in a community and pushing people and getting people, bringing people together to challenge them and entertain them in a, in a beautiful way. I hope that's continuing and I hope there's you know, a, a wonderful production of Our Town in a yeah. <laughs> hundred years from now that continues that pattern. And it, to me, it's really about looking back at the history um, through a lens of looking forward. 
of saying not just, oh, we produced every Shakespeare play in America, and in 1937, that's why we became State Theater of California, but that's what inspired me to do King Charles, because it's like a future history play right. that was speaking to that legacy, but in a very forward-thinking way. And I don't want this place to ever um, be a relic. I want this place still to be here, first of all, but also um, looking forward at the American theater. And I think I'm noticing a trend, and I'm really pleased to be a part of it some way, that we are seeing um, fantastic work happening regionally in America. That the centralization of New York theater, of off-Broadway theater, which I worked in for a while and love and go back all the time, but that doesn't have to be the only place where truly great work is happening. Mm -hmm. And places like here at the Pasadena Playhouse can create really exciting productions that exist just for our communities yeah. with no ambition beyond that. Why are we doing Little Shop the way we're doing it? Because that's we're speaking to the people around us. We think it's a fantastic evening that's mm -hmm. pushing that show forward. You have a bunch of um, brilliant creative people working on this play that we all love it and have loved it forever and we're cherishing this like a little baby <laughs> and we all care about it deeply um, and I think you're seeing more and more of that of, of world-class work happening regionally and I'm really thrilled to be a part of that. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Incredible. Well, we have one last question yes. that we always ask every, every person we interview and oh, that no. is um, what is that thing, that show, that movie, that experience you had earlier in your career, in your life rather, yes. that made you want to work in the theater? I think, okay, so I was super, super young, and I saw at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> like the good Jewish boy I am, with um, Topol did it. Oh my gosh. Do you remember, were you here? Do you know time? who the press agent was on that show? Was it you? Rick Miramontes. Oh, of course it was. Yeah. I saw that. It was Barry and Fran Weisler production. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to say how old I was, because I don't remember, but I was young. And I, I remember like the house tracking on and like splitting open and this, and I was just like, right. I, I was hooked. That was it. and putting on productions of Phantom of the Opera in my backyard for nobody but myself. As you do. Yeah. As one does, yeah. yes. Um, no, I was hooked, I was hooked, I was hooked. Amazing, so, yes. and we're all the beneficiaries of that. Thank yes. you so much for being so generous with your time thank and you. for your incredible leadership. Thank you guys theater. for what you're doing. We're excited to be here. Thank you. With credits ranging from the 2011 Broadway revival of Godspell, to the public theater's acclaimed Here Lies Love, and most recently, last season's underground sensation, Be More Chill. He's no longer Michael in the bathroom, now he's Seymour in the flower shop. We are delighted to welcome the star of Pasadena Playhouse's Little Shop of Horrors, George Salazar. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining oh us. Oh my God, thanks for The day after your opening. For, thanks for having me. Oh, we're, we're oh so thrilled. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you had an opening night last night and you're sitting here with us. Thank uh, you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so happy to be here with you. How was the party? Was it good? It was amazing. Oh, good. I, I was not expecting, like, I, I, my time with Pasadena Playhouse has just kind of, like, far exceeded all of my expectations of what mm. this would be. And, like, you know, I was going through 
the photos from the red carpet last night and I was like, they were here? They were here? She was here, he was here, oh my God. Uh, it's, it's, it's been, uh, it, last night was incredible. It was such an, mm. a warm reception from the audience, which you know, like, <laughs> you, kind of, you kind of always want that. Right. It's nothing worse than doing <laughs> any kind of theater to just like crickets. Right. Uh, so, it, you know, we, we took the stage and, and the audience was really like thrilled and excited to be there. And that kind of energy with this production, really it helps to kind of feed, feed the show. Mm. Well, there's a lot of love and there's a lot of interest. I like what you did there. Yeah, I can't let that go um, unnoticed. Uh, One of the reasons we're here is because we were so excited when this production was announced and we had to come check it out, you know, and the folks in New York are talking about it. I mean, I think there's a lot of love and interest in it, not just because of the show, but also because of you. Um, You know, you've just come off uh, an incredible experience with Be More Chill, which had, you know, a devoted fan base like no other I've ever seen. Truly, truly. Um, And, you know, when that closed, which must have been obviously very hard, uh, everyone wants to know, well, what's next, right? Mm -hmm. And for you, it was Little Shop, and you had the opportunity to come to Pasadena Playhouse. You've touched on it a little already, but what does it mean to be performing this role at this theater? So Seymour uh, was the first role I ever did. It was the first, Little Shop was the first musical I ever did, and it's the musical that made me fall in love with theater and also gave me this, like, you know, crazy idea that maybe I could do this for a living, mm. you know? Um, and uh, and so it means the world to me to get to return to the show, because I haven't done it since high school, um, with all of the things that I've learned from all of the amazing artists that I've got to work with over mm. the last 17 years um, since I did that high school production. Um, and But to do it here with in, in almost this, like, revisionist kind of manner mm. um, is... It, this is like my dream cast of my dream show in the dream theater. It's been um, it's been a really wild and eye-opening and, and like educational experience, you know? I was having a conversation with Mike Donahue, our director, last night, and um, I told him that like, I learned so much from being in the room with him. I felt like, you know, I'd been living in the Be More Chill bubble for quite a bit, right? And certainly my, my work in that show grew immensely between the time of our Two River production and our Off-Broadway production and then the subsequent Broadway production. Uh, and, but but I, I felt like I was kind of coasting. I felt very, very comfortable in that show, very comfortable in that role. Um, and when I got here, I had to take everything I knew about Little Shop um, and Seymour in particular, and throw it out the window mm. and kind of start from scratch. Because really what we were interested in doing here is investigating how um, how we can approach the material as if it was just written, right? As if there were there has been no other production in the past, um, and, and, and really um, uh, treat this like a, a new play, a new work. Um, and so, so I've been really challenged, and this is my first, like, lead role in a musical. Um, and so, you know, that brings its challenges as well. You know, how do you conserve yourself when you only leave for quick changes, you know? And you can't, there's no water to sip. So you have to really like take care of yourself and, 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 and kind of pace yourself wisely so that you can get through to the end and then do it seven more times that week. But it's been, it's been an incredible learning experience and uh, I'm really proud of the show that we've all created together. The room was like extremely collaborative, and I'm I'm so grateful to Mike Donahue for the for the, the the creative energy that he sets 
uh, in, in the space. Mm. You know, everyone feels really um, free to make bold choices, even if those choices are absolutely wrong and should never be done. <laughs> um, he's, he's so game to play. And that, that playfulness in the room, I think, really lends itself to the success of the show and, 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 and the overall experience for the audience. Did a lot of that playfulness and those risks, did that end up on stage? Did you find that you were using that thing, those things, or was it just processy? Yeah, no, no. A lot of it, a lot of it is in our show. Like there are a lot of those footprints in the final product. A lot of that actually, um, a lot of that is in my interactions with all of our puppets in the show. Um, you know, we were interested in kind of breathing new life into who Audrey too is, where she comes from, what is she, how does she grow, the relationship between the two, between Seymour and Audrey too. Um, and so a lot of the playfulness came from working with Sean, our, our puppet d director and choreographer and designer. Um, and uh, yeah, you really, you really have to uh, go in with an open mind and an open heart and a willingness to be a kid again you know that I really felt like this uh, immense like childlike wonderment in the room mm. dealing with all of these puppet pieces and interacting with them and and and, and helping to give those pieces life um, that'll read you know and that lives. had to have been facilitated by starting out and stripping away everything everyone knew about the show and yeah. approaching it as if it were written today yeah. and nobody had ever seen it on screen and stage and whatnot. Because yeah. I don't, I, it's fascinating that you say that and that's what your director did because I don't know how else you can approach it with fresh eyes. Because it is such a- Iconic. A, it's, it's such part an of the iconic, yes. it is definitely part of the culture. Yeah. And everybody has a relationship to it. Right. Everyone does. Um, but that, you know, our, everyone in the, in, in, in the company has a relationship with it. And so every choice that was made that was different from the, the original production and previous productions um, thereafter, um, uh, all of those choices were crafted with only love for the source material, right? right. No one was trying to, um, to drastically change anything. We're not, we're not, we're not deleting lines or, or rewriting Howard Ashman's words. It's, we're, 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 we're really staying true to that material. We're just looking at it through a different class, you know? Right. And, and, and you don't have to change a word of it to make it a different experience. Of course. By yeah. doing what you're doing. Yeah. Which I is, mean, you know, there's, with the original concept of the show, there's this light, light-hearted way, approach to some of the darker, uh, deeper moments in, in, in the play, mm -hmm. you know, specifically with the um, dynamic between Oren and Audrey, that abusive relationship. It's, it's. Um, it's it's laughed at quite a bit in the original production, and so you know we were really focused on how to be really careful with that, you know, because it's triggering. To it's a, a minefield, yeah. right? Right. Um, and but how do we how do we kind of shine a um, a darker light on that that dynamic? You know, um, Seymour is a is a very ordinary man, you know. And he lives in, for all intents and purposes, a, the ghetto, you know? He's down on his luck. He was an orphan. There's no family there. His family is, is Mushnik and Audrey and the flower shop. And so 
you know, um, approaching Seymour as, as that type of person who comes across this plant that changes everything for him. But, but, but in accepting the gifts, he has to return the favor and commit some really like awful stuff. Like wh how does a real person respond to those right. things, you know? Right. And what does that do to you when uh, you're, you're in love with this woman and you've fed her boyfriend to this plant, you've chopped his body up into pieces and, and fed him to the plant. The man who, who took you out of, plucked you out of an orphanage is, you're watching him be suffocated by this plant and eaten by this plant. Uh, how does that affect the character? And so I feel really um, satisfied as an actor um, uh, to kind of go on that journey with Seymour because he starts off so charming and goofy and nebbishy. And by the end, I kind of have this incredible action hero sequence, you know, <laughs> where like in, in the original production, it's like, it's played for laughs, you know, like the, oh, he runs out of bullets and let me try to feed rat poison to this plan. Or let me jump into it with a machete. But like adding a more badass kind of edge to that um, makes his journey and growth and, and transformation like so drastic in a really like, mm, like I get to go home every night feeling like that was great. You know, what a fun ride to have gotten to go on. And that journey is different if it's played for comedy or if it's played with Absolutely. a little more basis in reality. Absolutely. And so the outcome for you as an actor, but also us as the audience. I would say as an audience, the opportunity to see that, that different take yeah. on it is, you know, as, I can't as wait. I'm holding MJ's Audrey as she's dying at the end, uh, two nights ago I heard an older woman in the front row go, oh. This is dead silent. I just heard this one woman go, oh. And I don't, you know, there's, Audrey has that line, when I die, which should be very shortly, you know? And we get like a couple of laughs. And I think that that's like people's past history with the piece. Um, for the most part, by that point, everyone is kind of uh, fully immersed in our right. uh, kind of new vision of this show. And it's really quite thrilling to, to kind of remember the reactions in my high school production, which somehow are very clear in my memory, um, and then and, and compare those to, to how the audiences here at the Playhouse have been responding. It's, it's, uh, it's wild, and, uh, and something that I'm like, again, I can't say it enough. I'm very proud uh -huh. of the work that everyone, it's a very hardworking company, and everyone put in, certainly put, put in the hours. And, um, and for good reason. I, I'm, I think I think the show's really great and, and audiences have been really enjoying it. Lift up your head, wash off your mascara. Here, take my Kleenex, wipe that lipstick away. Show me your face, clean as the morning. I know things were bad, but now they're okay. So standing beside you you don't need no makeup don't have to pretend suddenly Seymour is here to provide you sweet understanding Oh
nobody ever. Having just talked to Danny Feldman, yeah. Um, what you're describing, this this production and the vision of it, it, it's it seems so perfectly suited to this the space, yeah, to this the history of this institution and the way that things have been done in the past and the vision that he has, yeah, for the future. Did you have any relationship with Pasadena before you came to perform no, here? No, you know, I was talking to to Ryan at uh, Telsey and Company, the casting director for the Playhouse, uh, and he basically was like, I called your managers. Uh, the day that the closing notice was released for Be More Chill, because you were at the top of our list for Seymour's to do this show, and we were all bummed that, you know, Mike Donahue had seen Be More Chill off Broadway and was familiar with my work, and um, but I was off the market in Be More Chill, and, and, and my manager hadn't found out about closing yet. And so Ryan called my manager and said, you know, do you think George would be interested in this production of Little Shop? And my manager said, uh, no, he's not available. He's doing Be More Chill. And Ryan apologized for the <laughs> insensitivity of it, but he said, um, not anymore, he's not. <laughs> Breaking um, news. And so, so they, I, met with, I met with Mike in New York on 46th Street. We met in a coffee shop. And um, he basically like pitched me this idea of doing an experimental production of, of Little Shop with MJ Rodriguez as Audrey. Who, you know, I'm a huge fan of Pose. And specifically a huge fan of, of her work on that show. And I mean, I'm wearing a Protect Trans Kids shirt. It's like a cause that I, that I feel um, is, is super important to me. Uh, and so I jumped at the opportunity to do it. And I didn't even need to know any of the other details. Uh, I was just like, let's, let me pack my bags and let's go, <laughs> you know? Um, and so we closed Be More Chill, a week passed. During that week, I was like unpacking and packing all of my life and throwing it in a storage unit. Um, and then I flew out here the Monday, the following Monday, and we started rehearsals on Tuesday, wow. the next day. Um, and so it's been, I'm excited for a vacation. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you have one planned, I hope. Oh, yes. Oh, good, because <laughs> you've earned it. Thank you. One question that we always like to ask folks that we meet with, especially actors, um, is what is the, the best piece of advice that you've been given in your career? Yeah. Um, the best piece of advice, uh, I think, comes from my buddy Nick Blameyer. Uh, when I was cast in Godspell, he kind of became like my big brother. Uh, and having written a Broadway show and starred in, in a Broadway show before Godspell, he, um, I think, you know, experienced what uh, reaching your, you know, your dream coming true, like what that can do to people right. if they don't handle it properly. Mm -hmm. And so Nick's best piece of advice to me was don't be an asshole. <laughs> and uh, my parents didn't raise a jerk. And so I don't, there, I was never in you danger were, yeah, of doing right. that. But, you know, um, I took that and, and when, I, um, when I, I enjoy teaching quite a bit. And so when I teach particularly high school students and college students, my, my advice to them is always work really hard, always say yes, and don't be an asshole. Mm. Um, and those are like the three uh, ingredients to, I think having a, um, you know, whether it happens quickly or it, it, kind of, it, it kind of happens over time, those are the ingredients to uh, being happy in this career. Because I think that that's also like that's the top priority. It's like we put we we each have a, a our own definition of what success is, 
Um, but for me, it's, it's being really proud of the work you do and being happy doing what you do. The minute it starts being kind of like a hassle or a chore, um, you gotta, you gotta kind of reevaluate what you're doing. Cause we're not, this is like, this is not rocket science or brain <laughs> surgery. It's, it's literally fairy tale, you know, make-believe. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. But the tallest candlestick ain't much good without a wick. I think in today's day and age, the advice of don't be an asshole is universal. Yeah. I think it applies, especially after the couple of days we've had yeah. in this country. Yeah. I think it's probably the best advice you could give anyone. You know, yeah. and so simple to, right. to, to do, yet some, a lot of people have a really hard time mm -hmm. uh, applying that, uh, which... Uh, I'll never understand, but... Well, you apply it beautifully Thank because you. you are not an asshole. Thank you. <laughs> well, on that note, we will let you go because I know you've got a show tonight. Um, so we much. normally ask everybody what was that show that made you want to work right. in the theater as our final question, but we already I have that answer that topic, because you're right? doing it eight shows a week as we speak. So thank you so much, thank George. You. Thank you. Thanks for having you. me, you guys. Don't have to pretend so Mama was poor. I meet a man and I follow him blindly. He'd snap his fingers. Me, I'd say sure. Rob here with You May Be Wondering. Following our chat with Danny Feldman and George Salazar during our California visit, 
You may be wondering more about the history of the Pasadena Playhouse, which Danny alluded to several times throughout our interview. Well, you've come to the right place, uh, and fortunately, Pasadena Playhouse has a really good story to tell. Uh, as Danny mentioned, it was, it was founded as the Pasadena Community Playhouse by theater impresario Gilmore Brown in 1917. Um, and in its early days as a community theater troupe, it was, in fact, uh, uh, performed in a burlesque house, which is pretty wild. Following Brown's grand vision and with the help of community donors, in 1925, the current Landmark Theater opened its doors as one of the largest theater complexes in the world with a Spanish colonial revival style campus that comprised almost a full square block and included five stages, a scene shop, and in a particularly innovative move, a college. That's right, as Danny mentioned, uh, the Pasadena Playhouse was home to the Playhouse School of Theater Arts, which was later renamed the College of Theater Arts. Started in 1927, offering BFA and MFA degree programs in acting, directing, stage technology, playwriting, and theater administration, later growing to over 300 students with three dozen faculty. In its heyday, the college was considered second only in the country to Juilliard, creating a vital pipeline of talent for the still nascent but booming entertainment industry just down the road. Always cutting edge, the Playhouse College became one of the first schools in the nation to offer training and classes in stage, screen, radio, and television, while producing hundreds of student performances each year. Students included later stars Ernest Borgnine, Eleanor Parker, Charles Bronson, Mako, Jamie Farr, Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman, and Sally Struthers, to name just a few. Owing to Gilmore Brown's audacious decision to produce the entire Shakespeare canon, a feat no other theater in America had ever done, the California State Legislature unanimously voted to make the Pasadena Playhouse the official state theater of California in 1937, a designation that remains to this day. By this time, the Playhouse had grown from a small troupe of actors into a national center for artistic innovation and activity, pioneering techniques like theater in the round and becoming a hotspot for Hollywood scouts. In addition to supplying talent for radio, television, and film, the Playhouse also served as a source for training in voice and diction for silent film stars transitioning to the talkies, while remaining a destination for writers like Eugene O'Neill, Noel Coward, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and Tennessee Williams to premiere their works. Beyond its own theatrical innovations, the Playhouse also trailblazed techniques in radio, broadcasting live nationwide from the main stage, and experimented with early television, establishing the first West Coast TV station. In 1960, its visionary founder Gilmore Brown died. As the theater struggled to fill the leadership vacuum, other theaters in the area began to compete, and the local drama departments of USC and UCLA put the Playhouse College out of business. By 1969, Pasadena Playhouse claimed bankruptcy and closed its doors. But of course, as Danny mentioned, that's not the end of the story. An intrepid volunteer support group that became the Friends of the Pasadena Playhouse banded together to secure the building's California state landmark status, ensuring it could never be destroyed. And in 1986, after 17 years of dormancy, the Playhouse reopened its doors as a nonprofit theater. In the 1990s, the revived Pasadena Playhouse, under the leadership of Sheldon Epps, became known for its emphasis on diverse content and casting, new musicals, and growth in the areas of education and new play development, with hit shows like Baby It's You and Sister Act making their way to Broadway from Pasadena. It hasn't been all rise, though. By 2010, the Playhouse was once again on the brink of closure, laying off nearly all of its staff, canceling the remainder of its season and eventually filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection for the third time in its history. But, like the name of this podcast, Pasadena Playhouse has followed in the tradition of the fabulous invalid, rebounding through a mix of resilience and luck. In 2016, Epps announced his tenure would end at the Playhouse. Danny Feldman was named as the new producing artistic director on the eve of the theater's centennial in 2017, 
And that brings us to the present. At one time, Pasadena Playhouse had five active theaters, producing simultaneously road tours, stock companies, radio and television studios, and a fully accredited college. In its history, more than 30,000 students have received arts education and access programs, and it has been the recipient of well over a million hours of service by more than 12,000 volunteers. Pasadena Playhouse remains today one of the most prolific drama-producing organizations in the history of the American theater, having commissioned over 550 new works, produced upwards of 1,200 shows, spearheaded over 500 world premieres, developed several shows that went to Broadway, as I already mentioned, and welcomed one million audience members, including me and Jamie, when we catch their latest show, Little Shop of Horrors, in just a couple nights. Now that you know this incredible story, if you live in Southern California or if you ever find yourself in the area, make plans to stop by Pasadena Playhouse. Check out that plaza, catch a show, and see this amazing campus for yourself. Jamie, that's our show. Thank you for listening, and you can hear us anytime on iTunes, Spotify, or on the Broadway Podcast Network. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC, and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. And a special thanks to my hometown and the Pasadena Playhouse for hosting us today. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com, and on social media at Fabulous Invalid, and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to tune in each Wednesday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.